Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, have you ever really stopped to think about just how special we are in God's eyes? God chose to create us, did you hear this, in His image. And sin has distorted that. But along that reality, God decided to immediately put a plan together to bring restoration back to his family. Well, welcome back to our sermon series on Romans. And if you're listening via this podcast, I pray that this message would help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Now, the pursuit of righteousness, the life of faith, these are not just things we have to do alone, which is what we learned about last week. And today, as we continue in our series, which the book of Romans is really the most systematic and most developed doctrinal book given to us by the Apostle Paul. There's so much to learn from Romans that literally we could take a whole year, 52 weeks of doing a series just on Romans. That'd be a little bit too much. So what we've done is picked some highlights out of the book of Romans that we could look at. We've looked so far at, well, like the, the concept and the idea of what is sin, the origins of sin, what does it mean, what are the ramifications of sin. We've looked at righteousness, the unity of Christ. And today we're going to look at something really powerful that God chose you. And what amazing news that is. Well, why don't you turn with me to Romans chapter 9. And this can be some difficult text or some scripture for some people. We're going to start at the verse 14. It says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Think about that. Some of us will say, well, how, how dare we even ask that question? How many have actually asked that or implied that and didn't even know you were doing it? Let me give you an example. God, that's not fair. Where were you, God? Where are you, God? We're implying unrighteousness on God. So Paul goes on to say, certainly not. Certainly not what? No, God's not unrighteous. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you. And that my name may be declared in all the earth. Verse 18. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. Wow. You will say to me then. Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man. But indeed, O man. You can almost hear that sternness coming out of Paul. But indeed, O man. You know, that kind of that firm voice. Who are you to reply against God? 
Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor, another for dishonor? What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called not of the Jews only. Now, that little phrase, not of the Jews only, that was earth-shattering. That made there be division in the community. Because many thought, if it's only for the Jew. And now here comes this Pharisee, Paul, and he's giving them scholarly insight, and he says, guess what? It's not just for you. They must have been shocked. But also for the Gentiles. Oh, that was like, you might as well just spit in my face. Verse 25, as he he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. I mean, it's clear right up front in our passage that God has the final authority. He is sovereign. God chooses who He shows mercy to it and whose heart will be hardened. And sometimes we don't understand that. It's hard to imagine God would harden anyone's heart for any reason. So the question comes, is there unrighteousness? Is there injustice with God? Well, the answer is clearly no. Paul made that clear. And as the created of God, we do not get to go around challenging God's logic, challenging God's thoughts, challenging God's ways. But how many of us, if we're honest, try to do it anyways? If there's only one in the house, my hand is raised. The Jews thought... They literally believed they could by no means be be rejected by God simply because they had a Jewish last name or because they were a part of one of the 12 tribes. They really believed that nothing else mattered just so long as you were part of the family of the Jewish community. You were born with a special name. Paul defends the power and the justice of God against the Israelites who trusted in only their what? Their Jewish name. That is not what Jesus taught. That is not what Jesus demonstrated. Now, it's not in your notes, but in Matthew chapter 20, you all probably would remember this story. Jesus shares like this little story, this parable about an owner of a big vineyard, and early in the morning he goes out and he finds some men and says, hey, you guys want to come work? It's early. It's early, dark 30, right? And he says, yeah, I'll pay you a full wage for the day. Absolutely. And they got busy working. 
Then it goes on to say that at 12 o'clock, at 3 o'clock, and again at 5 o'clock, he would go out and find more people. Hey, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's noon. You want to go work? And then at, at, at 3 o'clock, you want to go work? And at 5 o'clock, you, what have you been doing out here? Nothing. You want to work? Brings them all in. After an hour, he brings in the guy who showed up at 5 o'clock. He told the guy at the table, pay him a full day's rate. He worked, a, he worked an hour. So the guys who got there early, dark 30, go, man, we're going to get paid good today. And then the ones at 3 got the same as the one at 5. And the one at noon got the same as the one at 5 and at 3. So then when these guys got paid the exact same as everybody else, they blew a gasket. Well, that's not fair. Anybody ever say, God, that's not fair? I got some amens coming today. Okay, here we go. And now listen. Again, not in your notes. Listen to what Jesus says. So they complained, and he answered one of them. He said, friend, starting at verse 13, Matthew chapter 20. I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first, and those who are first will be last. Jesus is showing that he's sovereign. And just because he chooses to eat with the tax collectors and the sinners, and just because he chooses to do some kind of act that shows favoritism to one, it all appears to be upside down unless you look through the scope of eternity, through the lens of eternity where God looks back and we can look back and go, well, that all makes sense now, but I sure didn't get it at the time. Remember as a kid? Sometimes your brother, your sister, if you have siblings, they seem to get something that you didn't get. And you felt it was unjust? Maybe it was. But in the end, God did something inside you and through you because of that weirdness. Developed something in you and through you because of that weirdness. God's sovereign. And even though I don't see it, and even though I don't understand it, He does. And we can trust that He's righteous. That He's perfect. That He's not doing anything to jeopardize the path that you're on, but to draw you closer to Him ultimately and draw even others with you if you trust Him, even when we suffer, even when it wasn't fair. God still has a plan. Even when I don't see it, and even when it makes me mad, It's easy to be jealous of others. 
to be offended by God's kindness to others, and to assume God is being unfair, rejecting us, is dangerous. But God is sovereign. God is all-knowing. Now, now stop for a second. God is all-knowing. Do you really believe God is all-knowing? If we believe that, then when God does something that seems unfair to us, out out of order to us, He's all-knowing. We have to trust that there's an understanding He has in making that decision that we don't comprehend in the moment. Because he's all-knowing and he's outside of time. He sees the future as though it's the present. Again, in the scope of eternity, that which seems out of balance in many ways will make sense. Well, you know, let's shift a little bit here. You know, we were created in His image, in the image of God. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're a little God, all right? Slap yourself in the face and say, wake up. But it does mean this. You are a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. God is called Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so you have, what do you have? Body, soul, and spirit. Body, Jesus. Holy Spirit, spirit. Soul, God. Don't you have three parts in view? Your body, your soul, your spirit. You're made in the image of God. Animals are a dichotomy. They only got two parts. God made you unique. God made you in the image of Him. He chose you. For that. I mean, we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. It's incredible to read about how God formed us. He didn't speak mankind into existence like He did everything else. He just spoke and all of a sudden there's water, there's birds, there's sky. He tells the water where to stop and then there's land. He didn't do any of that with us. Ever notice... How many times you get to see a sunset or you get to see nature. You have incredible appreciation for the beauty of nature. You want to know why? Because we were made out of the dust, out of the earth. We're made. There's a natural connection. We're made out of the stuff. Why? So that we would be stewards of the stuff. We should be the best what would you call it? The animal rights activists or the conservationists over the land? We should be the best of all of that. You know why? Because God made us from the very beginning out of the stuff He created. Well, in five days, and then made us. 
God knew he wanted to be intentional, intentionally set us apart and make us different from all other creation. We're not like the stars. We're not like the moon. We're not like fish. We're not like birds. We're not like animals. We're not like bugs. We're not like snakes or reptiles. We're made in the image of the king. But since Genesis 3, we all know what that is. The fall of man, eating the apple. When sin entered humanity, we let God down. And we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Because we've all sinned. Not just Adam and Eve. We allowed sin into our lives to distort the image that God created uniquely in each and every one of us. But the good news today is that God's image on each of you and on me is not destroyed. Just as Romans talks about God gets to decide who and what He wants to use, when He wants to use in each and every one of us. Doesn't matter if you're super young. Doesn't matter if you're older. It doesn't matter. God gets to choose. There's no such thing as retirement for God. There's no such thing as you're too young to be used. He's sovereign. He picks and he chooses. This truth should allow us to feel incredible joy and honor and privilege. However, the key components amidst all of this is that we are truly still broken people, if we're honest. God chose to enter a relationship with you and me knowing that we were broken goods in order to bring about redemption and reconciliation to mankind that he created. Just what a beautiful example of God's grace and his mercy. So in our passage of chapter 9, it talks about a potter. Paul claims that the potter has the right to choose what he does with the clay. No matter how it looks or what its purpose is for, the potter gets to choose. God could have easily passed by and accomplished His purpose some other way without us. But He chose, as the master potter, to use people, to use you. Each piece different from the next. Let's remember that God, He is the master potter. That He's sovereign. And with that, there's one big reason why I think God Almighty chooses to use broken people. And so that He will get all the praise and all the glory, He and He alone. You know, sometimes we forget who the Jewish people who were Hebrew before, right? Who they really were. They were nomads. Let me use a word that you could better understand. They were gypsies. They were throughout a land. 
And God took a group of people that nobody recognized as being significant. They were a broken people. They had no government. They had really nothing. And yet God says, now that will be perfect for me. Because when they rule and reign, everybody will know it was because of God and His divine intervention upon them. You know, God has that same story over and over again throughout millennia, and He's still doing the same thing in us. There's no way something big could happen out of this, and we go, with God all things are possible. Why? So God gets all the glory. Why? So nobody ever has to look upon a person. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. So they're not the idol to be looked at. But He is the God to be worshipped, to be trusted, to bow our lives down to. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Acts. Let's look at chapter 9. We'll start at verse 1, 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogue of Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. So let me kind of back us up and get a little bit of a backstory. This is the story about a guy named Saul who later becomes a guy named Paul who wrote the book of Romans that we're studying today. But Saul was a really incredibly gifted individual and was advancing. He was taught by Gamaliel. He's really, really special theologically in the pharisaical community. And he's going around, find anybody of the way. What's that? That's the Christian church, and it was originally called the way. So he's trying to find anybody who believed in Jesus. And you're either going to get stoned to death, or you're going to go to jail, or you are going to renounce everything you said, but it's going to cost you. And so here's what he's doing. He's going getting official letters from the people of authority so he can go and do this horrible crimes to people. And it would all be legal. It's like he... I'll just stop there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul! Saul! Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and I will be, and you will be told what you must do. So, so this figure named Saul is the guy who wrote half of the New Testament that we read today. I mean, he was a murderer. He, he was an, an abuser. 
This was a man who once persecuted the gospel and those who would even share the message. And now Paul is preaching the gospel of Jesus. Wow. He was so twisted. He was so broken that he thought the Christian message was contrary to God's word. But then Paul, at the time Saul, had an encounter with Jesus himself. And the rest, as they say, is history. Paul went on to become one of the most effective people for spreading the gospel message in all of the world. And he continues even to this day because he wrote down in books. Wow. He was empowered. He was impassioned for the cause of Christ. Church, this type of story doesn't have to stay in the Bible. I believe God desires to rewrite your story today as well. Maybe you've been questioning whether God even loves you anymore because you feel as if you're just too far gone. Maybe for you, you believe the lie that God certainly couldn't use you because you're not perfect. Or you have this thing in your life. Or you have that secret in your life. I believe it's in His use of imperfection that God, that the Lord receives the most glory when He looks at me and says, I see all that. Now watch what I can do with it. Watch how I can work this clay. Are, are you going to just make me into a wastebasket, Lord? Oh no, child. Watch how we do this. And he starts making something gorgeous. Something I could have never imagined. And who gets all the glory? The clay? The king. The king. And then people will look at that clay after it's been flamed in the kill and it's gone through some heat. You catching where I'm going? And it comes out and it's been glazed. Do they admire the clay? Or do they admire the workmanship of the potter? They'll look at you and say, I see your father's eyes. Oh, your heavenly father, he worked with you. I see his touch in your life. God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion are freely given because of His deep love for you. And because of this fact, there's nothing we can do to earn more of His favor, to earn more of His love, to earn more of anything from God. A pastor once told me, God loves us as much right now as He ever will. He is not a God who fluctuates back and forth. That should give us some incredible comfort. That means all of your volunteering, all of your blessing here, and all of your blessing there, that's great, and it should be done because of sanctification. But it doesn't mean you get more of God. The one who's back sitting and messed up and losing it, God loves him as much as he did from the very first time he gave his heart to Jesus. And the same with her. 
He's not going to love you more or less. His love, he poured it all out as he hung on a cross. And he hasn't changed his mind. It's the same with his mercy. Paul makes it clear that we can't do anything to work for it. If we could, we'd be driven to performance-based Christianity. Anybody been to a church like that? It feels weird because it is weird. Does it mean that you don't perform for God, that you don't do something tangible for God? No, you always would. Why? Just like you husbands and wives, you do things for one another. Why? Because you love, not out of duty, but out of love. And so we do for the kingdom of God, not out of duty, but out of love. When you wash those dishes, you take out the trash. You know what I mean, Nathan? Those are ways that you speak to your loved ones that you care and that you love. You catch me? My wife is going, you better own that one too, Marv. I need that trash out today. (laughs) Romans 3.23. I just want to remind us of this. Let's read it together. Ready? Begin. For everyone... We all fall short of God's glorious standard. It's God's job to be perfect, not yours. Now, God's gift to us is this. He chose us before we were even, before we even had the opportunity to choose Him. He already chose us before we were even born, before we even were even conceived, He chose us. He knew us before. We even had an idea to know Him. He knew our strengths. He knew our weaknesses. He knew our victories, our defeats. He knew everything and still chose you. And He still chose me? That's scary. But here, let's read this. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. I like that part. How will I know it? Verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. All you mamas and you got those picture books to capture all those splendid moments and all those pictures on your phone as you slide one over. You know what? He captured every moment. Your books can't compare to how much he thinks about you. It is one long video. He didn't want to miss any part of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. God's plan for your life originated long before today. His love for you isn't based on the fact that you decided to come to church today. In fact, it's not based on anything you have or have not done. 
It's his decision. There are numerous examples of history of God choosing ordinary people. We just studied last week. God used the unqualified to take the unqualified to do extraordinary things. We talked about Paul earlier. There's so many others to, that come to mind. How about King David? How about Ruth, the Maobite? How about Mary, the mother of Jesus? How about Peter, the uneducated? How about Samson? How about Moses? How about Abraham? Can you imagine some of the people that he used? People who were murderers? People who were adulterers? People who were drunks? He took the broken to do the most extraordinary thing about with so that we would all go, that was the hand of God. That was Jesus. Because that's impossible. And today, I believe He still desires to use us as well. It won't always be easy. As we've already said, it will require sacrifice. But believe me when I say it will be worth it. The abundant life experienced in Christ is better and more beautiful than we can experience anywhere else with anything else. So what I'm asking you to do today is to accept God's choice of you. No matter your circumstances, no matter your situation, you can and will be used for extraordinary things in the hands of the Almighty God who loves you. The Lord chose to love you. To love us. And this invitation is for the new and for the veteran believer. Often the longer we walk with Jesus, the more complacent and comfortable we can become. Have you ever noticed if you've been a believer for a while, that sometimes it's a little bit harder to really be on fire like you were when you were young in the Lord. It was easy. It's kind of like when you first fell in love with him or her. You had no problem ditching your friends to be with them. To be on the phone, you know, that long cord, you know, that 20-foot cord? Hide in a closet or something. And just spend hours talking to them. You were infatuated. You were in love. But as time goes on, all of a sudden it's easy to get complacent. To lose that charge and that energy. And if you don't figure it out, you'll lose the flame that you once had when you were young. The same is true with our king. If we're not careful, we'll just go right through the motion, one right after the other. Go from one Sunday to the next Sunday to the next Sunday, from one month to the next month. And before you know it, we don't longer have to go to Life Journal. Oh, we don't have to go to prayer or that women's thing. You know what? I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. He knows. You know what? I'm fine. 
And we start making little excuses. And before you know it, we took a step back. And we took another one back. And another one back. But I've been serving Him for how many years? I've done this for the church. I've done that. And we're kind of sneaking back. But we have all the language figured out. We have an excellent Christianese accent. We speak great. We shoot out the verse. And we know how to say, mm, Amen, brother. Oh, praise Jesus. But what's going on here? Is it like what it was when you were young in the faith? Oh God, challenge me. Oh God, help me. Here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to spend time with the King. Or more time with the King. I want you to pray. I want you to worship. Maybe do communion by yourself. And just open up your heart. So many people say, how do you hear the voice of the Lord? And so many times I just want to say it this way. This is what you do. Get alone with the Lord. Sit down. And now, now here's the hard part. Hear this. This is a really hard theological term. Shut up. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. What does that mean? Shut down the mind and just be in His presence. Remember when you fell in love with him or with her? All of the worries of what had to get done, the homework that had to get done, the chores that had to get done, this that needed to go be purchased and bought, all that stuff, you pushed it aside so you could give them your one-on-one -on -one attention. You were still so you could be with them. Do that this week. Even just once. Be still. Take your worries, put them over there. Take your concerns, put them over there. All those things that are hurting you and bothering you, put them over there. Am I saying that they don't matter? No, they do. That's why this is so important. So you could be in His presence, and then you can hear His whisper. You know, all you need is one God idea to fix all the problems of your life. But if I'm so busy complaining and moaning and groaning, groaning, murmuring and complaining, me, myself, and I, I can never be still to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to me. Speak to me, Lord. Show me. Right? Left? Stand still, run, stop. He'll show you. He'll show you. But if we're so busy, we're too busy to hear. Well, Father, we love you. We thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. That you chose to love us. 
even in our brokenness, even in our family's brokenness, in our society's brokenness. God, you still said, I love you, child. I want you to be a part of the family. To sit at my table. To be a part of my kingdom. Forever and ever. He says he wants to use us to expand the kingdom. To share the good news. To share the story of God played out in your life. Oh, Jesus, you're a good, good Father. Lord, we need you. Help us to not live in condemnation, but Father, to embrace conviction for change. Oh, God, help us to embrace grace and mercy. Help us to say no to a critical heart and a critical spirit. But to see people through the eyes of grace and mercy and love the way You see us. It will make us healthy, Lord. And the wonderful thing about health is healthy things grow. So Lord, bless Your people. Pour out Your favor on them. Lord, as they will still their hearts and their minds, will You whisper to them clearly so that they know what God is saying to them specifically in their life with family and friends and their community to show them how to pray, to show them how to let go what is holding them back. Oh God, You chose us to love us. Help us to love you back. So Lord, I pray a blessing over your people. Your will, your way, your time. In Jesus' name, and we all say, Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.